Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. I want us to read a passage, and if you've been with us for a number of months, maybe years, you will remember I've used this text before, but um, I come to it with new insight and also uh, an urgency to speak it to you. And so it's in John in chapter 20, and in verse 11, but Mary, that's Mary of Magdala, the one we call Mary the Magdalene, Mary was standing outside the tomb of Jesus, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb And she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. It's the story of the resurrection morning. Uh, I mean, the resurrection morning within hours, maybe even minutes, after Jesus had risen out from death, the stone had been rolled away from the door of the tomb cave, and he walked out alive in a life that couldn't die. And he is alive now and alive forevermore. Okay, very quickly, the, the scene is that Mary, this same Mary, had come to the tomb very early in the morning. It was still dark before dawn, and that's when she discovered that the stone had been rolled away from the door, and it doesn't dawn on her what's happening. It would take ten very strong men to roll that stone away from the door. And and th- this this just doesn't dawn on her. In fact, she had come to 
embalm the body of Jesus or be part of that uh, without any thought of how they're going to move the stone. She is a woman in the grip of grief. And so she comes and sees that the stone has already been rolled away. And when she looks inside, the tomb is empty and she is shattered beyond words. The only explanation, the only logic that she could come up with is that there's been a grave robbery since they were here before. And and such an idea a grave robbery after all the suffering, after laying that battered, broken body into the tomb, that someone would come and steal the body? And she spins on her heels and runs back into the city and and gets hold of Peter and John and says the words, the body's been stolen. And, And they rush out of the house and and she comes running off to them, and they go into the tomb, and that's another story. They, they saw the empty tomb. John believed, but he did not share anything, and the what that meant to him we know little, and at this point I'm just leaving it. Uh, Peter knows nothing, and the two of them, Peter and John, go back to Jerusalem in a state of confusion, mental chaos, at least Peter. Mary stayed at the tomb. Can can you get inside this woman's head in her her thoughts, uh, her emotions? She stays at the tomb. Where else to go? She's weeping. She's weeping uncontrollably. And, and well, she just looks again. What else to do? And so it says she stooped and she looked into the tomb. And there she saw two angels at either end of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. That should be enough to shock the average person. But this woman is so overwhelmed with grief, it wouldn't matter who was sitting on that uh, slab. And, And the angel spoke to her and said, Why are you weeping? And it was a question that carried with it the genuineness I want to know. Why? Why? What's the matter with you? Why are you weeping? It it means nothing to her. goes over the top of her head. And she simply says, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. And then she turns away. I mean, total disinterest in, in the angel's inquiry. And as she turns and she sees, if you can be in that garden in the dawning, as the sun is just now rising, and this person is standing there behind her, and would be a silhouette against the sun, and add to that a blurred vision from a torrent of tears, and the person, well, who else would be in the garden at that hour of the day? It must be the maintenance man. And so she hears his voice saying, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? Huh. I'm fascinated by this. 
That, that's why I suppose I'm returning to it, and I probably will return to it within the next 20 years. It's, it's fascinating. Here is this woman consumed by grief. She's standing with a tomb that had contained the body of Jesus, but now open, and open in a way that would be hard to explain. Angels inside... And all she can say is, they've taken away my Lord. Where have they laid him? And now she meets with Jesus, but he's unrecognizable, a silhouette against the dawn morning. And he says the same thing the angels had said. Why are you weeping? Who who are you looking for? I say she, she is on the edge of discovery. I mean, if, if, if you look at the entire history of the world, from creation on, and this woman is standing right on the edge of the changing of the ages, the entire age previous to this, the, the age that goes back to the beginning is grinding to a halt and another age is coming in. <sighs> I, it's hard to put that into words, you know. And this woman is standing in the place where it happened. She, she's standing in the presence, I mean a few feet away from the person who is that new age, new creation that is ready to burst upon mankind and fill the cosmos. Right there. At that moment as the clock is ticking and the new age is, he questions her, why are you weeping? (laughs) You could suppose... That, that these are the first recorded words of Jesus after he rose from the dead? It's, it's not surprising. Questions are God's M.O. It, it's, it's the same as in the Garden of Eden. He plied them with questions. It's what he does. And, and you might as well get used to it, because when he speaks to you an awful lot of the time, it's in questions that come into your spirit. He, he, he still asks questions. Why does he do that? Because he will not impose an answer on you until the question has been asked. In that, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, who now stand before us in the person of the Son, Jesus, they are not rude. God is not rude. He does not give you answers that you're not asking for. And so he puts a question to you. He puts a question to her. It's almost as if we're saying, let's start where you're at. And if you're weeping, that's where we'll begin. You know, What one could imagine, like a tornado, he could have come in and said, What's the matter, woman? I'm risen, can't you see? But no, that's not God's style. He comes right where she is, in the midst of her tears and hopelessness. 
and starts to introduce her to the new creation with the question. He prepares us for his answers. He just doesn't throw them at us. He, what, he breaks up the ground inside of us, breaks up all of our rigid thinking. He breaks it up with a question that suddenly, what, what's going on? You say, um, maybe there's another way to think. Maybe there's another thought to have. The questions of God. He breaks up the ground of our mind in order to receive the seed of his answers that we were not previously ready to have. He opens to us new possible that we had never thought of. I mean, really, why are you weeping? Come on, come on, come on. That is a crazy question to ask anybody in a cemetery, right? If you find someone in a cemetery weeping, I don't think that you would ask them, why are you crying? No, no, no. It's not the question to ask. And so the fact he asks the question causes a, a sort of a, well, what's up here? Well, why, why, would you, why would you be asking that? It, it's opening up. It's a possible, there's, there's something more here. Maybe, maybe I should examine why I'm weeping, you say. And the second question, who is it that you're seeking? Who are you looking for? Again, that's strange. He had come for a corpse. Not a who, a corpse. The who has gone. That's the trouble. That's why she weeps. She comes, and, and here is this silhouette of a maintenance man who is saying, Why are you weeping? What's the matter with you? Who is it that you're seeking? The question. I mean, think about this. I've been thinking about it for about 10, 20 years. Um, He's asking a question concerning her weeping. And this person who is asking the question is God in our humanity who has just in the last hours conquered death. And don't let that slide over your tongue like a religious robot. He has destroyed death. He had reversed it so that he in his humanity, as one of us, comes out of the grave with a body that cannot die, a body that within its very cells is the life that is forever defeated, destroyed, death, stripped of his authority. I mean, he is the Lord of the cosmos. And yet, he says to her, why are you weeping? Does that, do you get what I mean? He's interested in tears. He has infinite interest in us. Surely, if you've just risen from the dead, the first human being to ever destroy death and rise out of it, surely you've got big stuff on your plate now. Not to stop to some woman who's crying. I mean, th this shows us so much about Jesus. So much about the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is infinitely interested in you. Because he's going to mention her name in a couple of minutes. 
It's not just a, a creature. It's not just one of that massive thing called the world. He's infinitely interested in one particular human being who is sobbing rivers of tears. And he's interested enough to say, why are you weeping? Do, do you hear me? God is, is seeking entrance into her grief to know what's going on inside of her. He's fascinated. It, he is the lover, God the lover, who can't get his eyes off us, you, me, the beloved. Have you ever seen, maybe you are, the mother who holds her baby and just looks at the baby's face, fascinated with every twitch and turn. Do you realize in the Psalms, if we had time, it speaks of our God in exactly that way, that he's as fascinated in you as a mother is in her baby, as a lover is in beloved he really wants to know, why are you weeping? Because that's what this is all about. This is eternal life, that he wants to know us. And in knowing us, we are drawn into knowing him. He wants to interact with us. That's life, you see. That's life. It's, it's the sharing. It's the sharing. And, and he wants to know our deepest selves. Are you afraid? Don't, don't hide. He wants to know why you're afraid. Are you laughing your head off and full of happiness and joy? He wants to know. He wants to share your joy. Are you confused? Are you frustrated? Why, he says, why are you weeping? Why are you frustrated? Why are you confused? You see, when I say that he ones with us, I, I mean it. He would so one with us as get inside our tears and get inside our fears and our grief and our frustration in order to know us. Who are you? You say, well, he's God. He knows everything. Yes, he does. But he's not interested in his knowing of everything. He wants to know as you see. How do you perceive it? How do you feel right now? How do you understand this that causes this emotion that you're having? He wants to know you in your own words. He wants to know you through your own perceptions of life. Your thoughts. He wants to know them. Your feelings. They're of unlimited importance to him. And that's love, isn't it? Love demands the exchange of hearts. Love demands a, a complete and total sharing. Love never hides from the beloved, but it's a love is vulnerable to the other that the other can know everything about me. Because love is the atmosphere of total safety and trust. This is the most beautiful picture. Beautiful. Jesus, freshly risen from the dead. Lord of the cosmos, and yet is asking, 
concerning the tears of Mary of Magdala. Why are you weeping? I say it again, the greatest event in the cosmos has just taken place. And it's waiting to be known to the world. But he wants to begin where she is. He wants to begin with her tears and with her grief in order to lead her to what has just happened. Why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? The angels had asked the same question. I think maybe there was a different tone to their question. But in a sense, the two questions are really one. Because they're both genuine. Why are you weeping? Why? There's a a reason you're weeping. And angels said, we can't figure that out. We haven't got a clue. How could you possibly be weeping? And they're looking at her. Why? Why? I think Jesus is saying the same, but he says it in the gentleness that belongs only to God in the flesh. Why? Why are you be- you see, why are you weeping? I told you I would rise again. You're, you're, you're weeping as if I never said that. I, I told you, did I not? I'm going away. I told you it would be a time of great sorrow as a woman delivering a child, but you would come through it and I would come back to you. Why are you weeping as if I never said that? Did you not expect me to keep my word and to come back? That's inherent in the question. It certainly is the angel's question. Remember to the other woman, the same angels said, why do you seek the living among the dead? What's the matter with you, woman? It's uh, the promises, the absolute statement of fact that Jesus had given, that he would be mocked by the Gentiles, spat upon, crucified, but he would come back, risen from the dead. He said to Peter and to John, don't you remember the transfiguration? He said, after I'm risen from the dead, you can tell everybody about this. <laughs> Doesn't anybody remember? Hmm. No, they didn't. Why? Because there is no space inside of the human brain. There's no space inside our reasoning powers, inside of our logic. There's no space there for resurrection. And I'm not talking about like Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead and Lazarus raised from the dead. I mean, that's stupendous, incredible. But they died again, you understand. That, that was a calling back from the dead. What we're looking at here is the destruction of death in and through this human person who is God. Hmm. No, I'm sorry, I can even go back to all of the Old Testament, and essentially it's not there. It it came to a point where it couldn't speak any further. As Isaiah the prophet said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, has never entered into the heart, mind of man, what things God has prepared for those who love him. He said, it's beyond me. 
In Peter's epistle, he said the prophets would would look at the very words they had spoken and essentially say, what on earth was I saying? They, They couldn't understand their own words. There was nowhere in their mind or hope that God himself would take our human flesh, our humanity, and carry it to death and destroy death and open up a life where there wasn't even the smell of death in it. No, they couldn't think that. I mean, they couldn't think it. Believe me, I I wonder whether we can really think it. However glibly we say we believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, have we ever grasped what that means? So, So Jesus asked the question, see, Ask a question. Why, why? Why are you weeping? I told you this would happen. But there's no condemnation in his voice. He never condemns you. He never sneers at you. He never demeans you. No, this is something the human brain cannot grasp. The human brain puts his resurrection in the realm of fantasy, in, in, in the realm of dreams of wild, foolish imagination. Are you nuts? That's why she wept in the face of the promise fulfilled, the oath of God that he swore from the beginning that he would bring mankind out from the clutches of Satan and death. It's done. And now in the face of it, she weeps because she never could understand, never grasp. Why are you weeping? Because right now, her whole horizon was filled with temple, the temple priests who had engineered the crucifixion and his terrible sufferings. Yes, Annas and Caiaphas and, and Judas in the ploy of the temple. That's why she couldn't see any more than that. Oh, she could see Rome, its terrible power like a great iron claw that came down. Rome said, if you say you're king of the Jews, then we crucify you. And so he had been murdered in a Roman torture of crucifixion. And when when she sees the body gone, her logic is, well, it must have been stolen. There's no other. (laughs) What else could you say? We don't have anywhere in our brain for something else. She'd come to the limit of logic and it filled her brain. And all she can do now is weep, weep, weep helplessly, weep in horror, weep. Because the temple won, Rome won, Judas won, Pilate won. So what do you do? You come back to embalm the body <clears throat> rearrange the grave clothes put in sweet smelling spices so that death doesn't smell as bad as it is come back to weep what else is there to do what else to do why do you weep all you've got left is a memory now that that's what death is, isn't it? 
there's the joy and there's the celebration. But then five days later, all you have left is a photograph. All you have left is a memory. It's gone, swept away on the rivers of the past. It's gone. Why are you weeping? Because he's gone. Oh, that, that's it, isn't it? I said, she's Mary of Magdala, that city on the shores of the Galilee. But she, she was so identified with the city, she became known as Mary Magdalene. And we know very little about her, except, and it's a big except, that Jesus cast out of her seven devils. And that might mean seven devils, but it also could mean symbolically seven, the number of uh, God's perfection that she had been delivered of a lot of demons that had completely controlled her and Jesus completely delivered her. Whatever it means, she's a new woman and written across her life is delivered, forgiven, And she had followed Jesus. And she had listened as he had announced forgiveness to so many. She watched as healing followed, healing followed, healing. Physical, mental, emotional healing flowed from Jesus. And she was the one with him along with the others. She watched his wonders, feeding of the 5,000. She had almost gotten used to living in amazing, gotten used to being astonished. And it all converged upon Jesus. And he never left any rules. That is what made him so utterly other than all the other holy persons that one might look at. He had no rules. He didn't leave formulas. He didn't even say, you've got to sweat it out and try and be like me. He didn't say that. Rather, he said, come to me and I will give you rest. Consider that. (laughs) No one had ever said that before, anything like it. He spoke of a deep heart hunger and said, I am the bread of life and you have to eat of me and I will satisfy you so you'll never hunger again. He said he was the good shepherd. He said that he was the door. He didn't talk about God the shepherd. He said he was the shepherd himself who would protect us and care for us as a shepherd does his sheep. He said of himself, he is the life. He himself was the gift of life. So he gave life. He said he was its origin. He was its source, a life that you've never seen before. But he not only gave it, he was the life. So that this life that he had come to communicate to us was himself and the only way to know that life was to know him and be in union with him in fact his last words were that i am in you and you are in me like a branch is in the tree i am the way 
I don't point out the way. I don't give you a map. I don't give you some holy rules. I am it. Commit to me. Join with me. And we walk the way together. And I'm the road. I'm not just the guide. I'm truth. I'm reality. And of course he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, whoever believes on me shall never die. I mean, all this is crazy stuff, especially on this morning when he's gone. When they laid that body covered in blood in that tomb, you realize it wasn't that just the founder of a new religion had died. (laughs) Because he never founded a new religion. He came and said of himself, he is the origin, he is the source of this life, this way. He is himself the wide open door into reality and truth. Come to me and rest, he said, rest. It's a divine word. It's the word used in Genesis that God rested from all his works. Come He is saying that he would personally bring people inside the Holy Trinity to the rest of God. You you understand, don't you? I mean, it's one thing for a great teacher to die. They can get your books and all the rest of it. But he didn't have any books. He himself was his message. Why do you weep? Why do you weep? Because he's gone. Because Rome won. Because the temple won. He's gone and now there's nothing left. Because he was all there was. And he's gone. He's a memory. He's a faded photograph. We can still hear the laughter of those who were healed of their sickness. We can hear the astonished words of those who ate The five loaves and two fishes. But it will never happen again because it all, it was in him. You see, it's him. We're left with the promises he he left, but they're all impossible. They're beyond our ability. They all depended on him to make them work. So she stands at the tomb and she weeps. What else is there to do? Oh, believe me. Give a few months, give a few years, and religion would come to that tomb. You bet they would. Oh, yes, religion, like vultures, like croaking crows, religion would come. And in that tomb that only contained him, That tomb now empty because he had conquered and stripped death of its authority. They would come and they would plaster their rules all over those walls. And they would give formulas that mentioned his name, but had all the fingerprints of religion, the same old stuff. Oh yes, with all its organizations and its dead doctrine, and it would say this is what it's all about. And when they came to his miracles and came to his wonders and came to his fantastic words, they would simply dismiss it as that was a myth. He never really said that. Huh. Oh no. They turned it all into legends. They turned it all into that which is beyond logic, and so it's impossible. You keep the rules, and you've got to try and be like him. 
Do you know if Mary could ever have known that's what they were going to do with this? That they're the most obscene words. Can you can you see? She's weeping because he he's not here. He's dead. We put his body in the tomb. It's over, and there's no more hope of life. Religion has no time for why she's crying, stupid woman. We've got to get down to our doctrines and tell them what to do and put our formulas out there and obscene. Religion is obscene. It's missed the point. It's all about the person of Jesus. And yes, if I believe he's gone, then there is no life left. No wonder she wept. No wonder every tear said, if only. Every sob said, why? Every deep, sobbing cry was what might have been. Why are you weeping? But just a minute. As I've already said, to say to someone in a cemetery, why are you weeping? It it begs, the question begs the possibility that there's something else here, you see. In fact, it's hinting at a new possible. You weep. Of course you weep. But maybe it's not the last word. Maybe there's something else here. Maybe there's a new possible. Or why did he say, why do you weep? Because in our natural world, well, weeping, of course you're weeping. What else is there to do? But he's suggesting you should know something else. He's suggesting that you're on the edge of a new possibility. Why are you weeping? There's something else here. It's a new possible in the midst of death. It, it's, a, it's a new possible that is, is beyond, beyond our comprehension, beyond our human reason, beyond our logic. Yes, maybe. It sounds like fantasy, sounds like myth, and maybe it's only my imagination that can sort of put flesh on it. it but it's the realest thing you'll ever know. It's, it's your brain, it's your reason that is pathetic because he can't go here because this is real, this is the truth, this is life. Your ancestors never thought here, they didn't go here. The possibility that a life that is filled with death is not as good as it gets. No, they dare not go there. But this question, why are you weeping? This gentle word, without condemnation. This Jesus who started where she was weeping to bring her gently to a joy that, well, it was a joy that had never been defined before. That's the trouble with this gospel. There's no words in our vocabulary to describe it. And therefore we use human words to try and describe the unearthly and the heavenly. 
Well, what's the word that tells, that informs that the authority of death has gone? And a new life and a new way of living has burst upon the world in the last two hours. Why are you weeping, lady? You're standing in the middle of a joy that hasn't yet found definition. It's so big, it's so vast. You are in the middle of laughter that is filling the invisible universe. All of heaven is rocking with laughter, dancing with joy. Why are you weeping? And, as I I say again, the second question, who is it that you're seeking? You came to dress a corpse. You came to weep on a memory. Because he has gone. Well, if he's saying, why do you weep? And if he's suggesting that you're looking for a he, you're looking for a person, not a corpse. What's he talking about here? His questions are hinting. His questions, as I say, they're churning up the earth, dropping in seeds. This is something I can't tell you just straight in your face. You've got to be brought there. Got to be brought there. Why? Who are you seeking? And then she sobs out the usual thinking maybe she's got hold of the maintenance man who oh it's it's I, this woman is so overwhelmed with grief nothing she says really makes sense at this point you know you're the maintenance man i suppose you just flipped open that grave with your left finger and you dragged out the body and <laughs> she said please if if you did this would you tell us and then she says i will go and get him that's it Little woman picking up a whole male bot. No. But anyway, that's how she answered. She didn't know anyone else to answer because she's in the middle of the most illogic. And it was at that point. Jesus said, Mary. Oh, you see, this isn't religion that sits down and says, now, have you heard of the four spiritual laws and sign here and... No, this is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has come to reveal himself to us inside our humanness. God the Son, Jesus. And now, as he's accomplished the act of all creation, and she's weeping, and he said, Mary. No one in the world said Mary like Jesus did. She's known by name. And as you are known by name. And it's the gentle voice of God love that said Mary, that says John, that says Jack, that says to you, Susan. It's the voice of God that calls us by name. And immediately she knows he's alive. If he's alive, then everything is going to be the same again. They're going to be healed again. We're going to see his wonders. And apparently she grabbed a hold of him. As if to say, you're not getting away a second time. 
And Jesus gently pushed her away. And he says, do not cling to me. That is, yes, it is me. I am alive. But Mary, we're not just going back to what was. Everything has changed. Everything now has come to fulfillment. And now it's a world of possible. You you thought the last three years was possible as you'd never understood it. Well, now possible that you've gotten used to possible has expanded to infinity to swallow up everything that you still would call impossible oh yes i'm alive and the same but in the same breath it will never be the same it will be better it will be infinitely better than you've ever known before the spirit will come my spirit will come upon you and in you and i will really be in you and you will really be in me and we together will really be in the father and the father will be in us and the holy spirit huh And a new word came into being, joy. The joy of God burst into the world. And the only response we humans can do is to re-joy. Joy from God, re-joy from us. Oh yes, there'll be doctrine... Of course there would. But it's not that dead stuff. It's not produced by yawning professors. Not by the croak of religion. It's doctrine. But it pulsates with the living Jesus. For there is no doctrine if he's not risen from the dead. There's no doctrine. There's no theology unless Jesus is alive now. And that's what dawned upon this weeping woman outside the tomb of Jesus. The new possible. The new po- Your weeping is not the last word, you see. Do you remember Ezekiel had said, what is it, chapter 37? He said, can these bones live? When Ezekiel looked upon a valley that was a total boneyard, And the Lord said to him, and I hear the twinkle in his eye and in his voice, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, who knew God well enough by now, he said, you know, Lord, don't ask me. (laughs) That's the realm of the impossible, you know. Well, it's happened. This Jesus, who is God, taken our humanity into death. He walked into the was. The done, the finished, the hopeless, the graveyard, the was. But he didn't become a memory. He didn't just become a statue. He lifed death. He destroyed 
its authority. And so he walked out of death and all the cells of his body now are free from even the possibility of death. He didn't, he wasn't sucked backward into death. He walked forward out of it and says to us, because I live, you shall live also. Whoever believes on me shall never die. This is the gospel, you see. Amazing. You can use that word, only it's a pretty pathetic word when I'm trying to say this. It's astonishing, yes. It's unspeakable joy, all of the above. It's a new way of life, of course it is. It's a life where death does not hold authority, which means it's the absence of fear, the absence of anxiety, the absence of all bondage, the absence of all negative. Huh. Yes, you see. All is possible now. All is possible. We've, we've come into this newness of life, says Romans 6. It says of Jesus that he made all things new. That's an interesting phrase. It it doesn't say that he made all new things. He made all things new. He comes into our lives and he doesn't turn us into oddballs. He transforms us. The old that I was has now become me, but with this newness of life that came out of the tomb, that stopped all weeping, that filled any sorrow with triumph, and gave us a life that really, if you try to talk about it, sounds like fantasy and myth and legend. He stands in the graveyard of all our hopes and dreams that have been shattered, all our failures, all our fears, all our confusions, all our anxieties. And he asks us, why are you weeping? (laughs) His triumph has reached right into the middle of our tears, right into the middle of our hopelessness. And he says, I make all things new. Open your eyes. I am the center and the source of all triumph. I am the beginning in myself of all life and all joy. I bring new laughter that's got resurrection in the middle of it. Well, that's really it. Let let me say this. I mean, what I've I've said, I've tried to show you that Jesus alive from the dead brings, well, it brings life as life had never been defined before it brings a newness to me and to you that we could never have imagined it also brought a total change to society i have to inject this because you see jesus showed himself at the very beginning as i say he'd only been risen from the dead at the minutes maybe a couple of hours, 
the new creation is just here. And he gives that knowledge and message to Mary of Magdala, a woman. Now, in the day of Jesus, a woman was looked upon as less than, well, certainly less than a man, but really less than a less than a man. She had no importance and to the point where she was not allowed to be a witness in a court. You could never call a woman as a witness. She didn't count. Now, do you, do you realize you talk about Jesus turning the world upside down? He showed himself, first of all, to a woman. Tried to call her as a witness in a Jewish court of that day to prove I spoke with him after he rose from the dead. She, she's not a witness. She's a woman. Well, who did he come to second? A bunch of women who were coming to join Mary in embalming the body. Do you realize Jesus was turning the Garden of Eden inside out? Who was it that brought sin into the world? Who was it that presented the fruit of disobedience to Adam? It was Eve, the woman. Oh, the love of God, the gentleness of God. What did he say there in the garden? That it would be through the woman that the champion savior should be born. That was the Virgin Mary. And now when he raises from the dead, he tells a woman about it first and second. And it was the woman that went back to the men to tell them what had happened. Do you realize in that garden a new society has been birthed? A society in which women are exalted to becoming the familiar friends, truth bearers of God himself, who then are placed as co-equal with men in Christ Jesus, to share as originally intended as help meets, which is a Hebrew word which means complementers, those who fit in together. The man is what the woman isn't, but the woman is what the man isn't. And together they give the image of God. I, I throw that out. I believe it's important It certainly was to the people who first read this and first heard it. So there it is. That's the gospel that you have got yourself involved in. I I know if you listen to this sort of stuff for very long, you realize how tawdry, how shabby religion is it's like the rags of a homeless man compared with the truth as it is in Jesus you realize how dead and empty the lives of so many dear 
believers because they've been like barnacles on a ship. So religion has blinded them to the truth. Understand a new joy, a new dance, a new laughter, a new life sprang into being in that garden. I I remember the last time I was in Israel and I went. (laughs) See, in Jerusalem there is a church that is allegedly, it's called the Church of the Resurrection or it's supposed to be the empty tomb. And in that church, the major religions of the world, I mean Christian religions, all the split pieces of Christianity, uh, they each have a corner. And, I mean, it is so sick. That's, that's enough right there to say how sick religion is. They've got a corner of the church because they're not talking to each other, you see. So they've got to have their bit in this place where Jesus allegedly rose from the dead. They're not talking to each other. But while I was there in Jerusalem, (laughs) those four factions of Christianity, each with their little bit of the place where Jesus is supposed to have risen, they started fighting. And it it became a knock-down, drag-out thing. I mean, punching and... And the Muslim police had to come in and separate these. What a a shame. Muslim police had to separate the Christians as they punched each other because they said they had a right to this place. I, I, I... I didn't stay there more than two or three minutes. You can smell religion a mile off. I went outside the city, and outside the city of Jerusalem, there is what I believe, and thousands of others too, is the real tomb of Jesus, which fits everything that the Gospels portray it as. And I stood where Mary stood. I stooped and looked into that empty tomb, and I saw the slab where the body of Jesus once lay. And, and, and I saw what Mary saw. And I stood and I turned to where Jesus had actually stood right there as he spoke these words to Mary. It was, it was a life-changing moment. It wasn't the first. It just washed over me all afresh that what we believe is rooted in and hinges in the resurrection and the greatest threat to our faith is religion that would seek to drag us out of the resurrection into a mass of dead rules and struggling trying corrupt flesh So, why are you weeping? For you are in the presence of joy unspeakable and full of glory. For Christ the Lord is here, is now, and is now walking in and out of our lives. For he's alive, and he speaks his own word, and he calls us to himself. 
Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for a salvation that is almost too big to talk about. There's no words to use, no logic to appeal to. But we thank you that in our hearts we know this. That in you, through Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Open the eyes of our understanding. And let the glory of your joy in us burst into our lives. And now, may the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit bless you this night this weekend to the ages of ages. Amen.